Welcome to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. On today's show, we are knocking out uh, the first of a new schedule that we're doing. Uh, We're going to recap the Michigan game uh, today, and then later in the week on Thursday, we'll dive more into the Northwestern stuff. So we're going to roll out a new schedule of two podcasts a week. Try to break it up a little bit. You know, that way we can focus a little bit more on on the last week's game, and then of course focus more. in depth as we as we turn the schedule to uh, Northwestern. On this week's show, I have, of course, Matt with me, and then I have Drew Hom, our fearless leader. I said that right. Right, Drew? You did. That's exciting. <laughs> I'm, I, the only reason I said it right is because Jake said it on the podcast last time. I thought it was ham for the longest time. Um, so shout so out does to everybody for getting that right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would have never known unless he said it. So uh, G- Jake with the nice setup, I got to give him that credit. Um, but before we dive into the uh, Michigan stuff, we were going to talk about some uh, Badgers recruiting stuff because obviously it was a huge weekend uh, for the Badgers on that front. Uh, they landed two recruits. Firstly, they landed four-star 2020 lineman Riley Malman, um, who was a uh, – 2021, my mistake. And uh, guys, any any certain thoughts about uh, Riley in this class? Yeah, he's super athletic. Uh, you know, it's six seven. I know some people said that even like six eight and like up to 270 pounds. He was a really good basketball player, so I think that athleticism will definitely transfer over to the offensive line. What do you think, Drew? I just think it's awesome that the uh, the Badgers and Paul Chris are able to mine Minnesota for these excellent players. Uh, they have, you know, the top guy in the 2021 class. Then there's Caden Johnson, who's the top guy in this year's class, who might be coming to the Badgers. And then the top guy in the 2022 class was also in Madison this past weekend, who's a, a teammate of Caden Johnson. So I think it's great that they're able to kind of expand their recruiting border. Yeah, and they really, you know, they seem to just be able to go across the border with ease. And, you know, you would th- think it'd be a little bit more of a challenge with, obviously, P.J. Fleck and his personality. And, you know, what, whatever you want to say about him, it's, it's always been apparent that he can he can recruit a little bit. But yet, you know, Paul Chris, Mr. Personality, still seems to be able to go, you know, over the border and land some of these guys. So it's really interesting to see. Um, and going off of, of Riley's commitment, um, 2020, the Badgers also landed uh, what they were classifying as an athlete, Preston Zachman, um, to the class of 2020. Guys, what do you think about him? Well, I'm always excited when uh, more dudes from Pennsylvania are coming to Wisconsin and joining up with the Badgers, even though he's from the wrong side of the state. That's neither here nor there. We're not here to talk about that today. But uh, I like uh, a guy like him who can move quickly from from sideline to sideline. He looks like he has the type of frame where he could add some weight to potentially play uh, an outside linebacker edge rush position, something like that. Uh, I, I'm excited for him. He's kind of a, a mystery box. Yeah, I think he like his versatility really could help the the Badgers. You know, I know he's coming in as an athlete, so and he, he could be playing either linebacker position inside or outside. And then I know he's got like legit four or five speed and he clocked at Ohio State's camp really fast as well so I think they had talked to him about possibly playing safety or fullback so those are the type of guys that they've done really well with uh you know with 
TJ Edwards playing quarterback in high school, you know, Zach Bond, he kind of reminds you of those, you know, obviously if they can hit like that, that would be huge. Yeah, and but I was looking at it, I was watching his huddle tape and some of his highlights, and, you know, usually when you watch a guy classified as athlete, you can kind of see where he projects to be, but with Zach, you can kind of see, you know, him, him ending up at a, a couple different positions, and I don't think anybody would be surprised. So, I mean, and that's not necessarily a bad thing at all because you, you like to have that versatility and that flexibility, um, especially with, you know, new guys coming in and you can move them around as, as they develop. So it's it's clearly a huge get for the Badgers uh, in both the 2020 class and uh, the 2021 class. So anytime you have recruits on campus for a top 15 matchup and then you go out and, and blow that team out, it's huge. Any final thoughts on the on the recruiting front before we dive into the Michigan recap, guys? You know, I think we can uh, jump right into Michigan. All righty. We'll get into it. So, obviously, a huge win for Wisconsin, 35-14. to 14. I don't even think the game, while the close, you know, the score appears so like it could have somewhat been close and got away at the end, but really it's not even as close as 35-14. This game was was well in hand in the first half. Um, the Badgers obviously didn't play that great the second half, but really didn't have to. Um, but we'll, we'll kind of dive into it. Going into Saturday, and I, I know I was at the game, and uh, Matt was at the game. Drew, were you at the game too? I was in Madison, but I was not okay. at the game. Okay. What were, I guess we'll start with Matt, guys. What was your like initial thoughts? Because for me, when I woke up Saturday morning, I, I was – a little nervous. I, I I was all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, this game is finally here. There was so much buildup in that game. What was your what was your feelings going into Saturday morning, Matt? You know, I I in talking with you on the podcast last week, I thought we both had kind of a a confidence about it in terms of our picks, and I I just thought that they were going to get it done. I did not think that they would uh, do it that emphatically, but. I did think that they would pull ahead in a win, and I did think that they'd beat the spread just because of the way they had looked so good the previous two games. But I was still a little nervous about how the bye week might affect them. Drew, what about you? I mean, I I think the the staff predictions kind of spoke for themselves. Everybody at Bucky's with the quarter picked the Badgers to win. Nobody predicted, like Bell was saying, nobody predicted it to be a, a blowout. But everybody thought we were good enough to win, and uh, – I kind of felt that way Saturday morning, too. I was driving down to the game with my buddy and my wife, and they were both, oh, we're so nervous. Like, Michigan always beats us. And I just kind of sat there. I was like, huh, maybe. And then, you know, the game ended up being <laughs> kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, it was certainly – it was entertaining, but obviously the score was, you know, an indicative of a game that was just, you know, got out of hand for Michigan. But – you know, like, yeah, like you said, I think everybody was confident going in. I think I was more nervous about the bye week, like Matt said. Um, but overall, you know, I think my my philosophy and, and my opinions, when, you know, my nerves kind of shut off as soon as that first drive kind of got going because I was like, okay, this team looks like looks like they're they're ready to get back in action, and then, you know, to have Taylor slam that one in uh, to start, it, it kind of relaxed me. I don't know if it was kind of the same for you guys. Was that? Would you say that that was the turning point for you? You know, I I was thinking about that because I think there were so many different options you could go with. I think for me, the turning point was probably the the Burrell interception when they were up. Well, I think that was when they were up twenty-one nothing. I think if Michigan would have went down and and scored there, 
um, and then got the ball at half. And, and I think they could have made it interesting. And then, so I think that one kind of, for me, was kind of the the camel that you know broke Michigan or the straw that broke Michigan's back. Because um, obviously, right after that, Cone went on his you know little little run down and dive into the end zone to make it 28. And I think that was for me. Um, what really sealed the deal. But uh, what about you guys? What was kind of the turning point uh, in your guys, starting with you, Matt? Um, I thought, uh, you know, obviously they went down, got that, that solid drive. Chris kind of showed some huge stones by going for it on that fourth and one and getting it, but then punching it in. But then I thought when Michigan kind of punched back immediately on that big, long pass down to like the eight-yard line and the the Wisconsin defense was able to sustain that punch and then go ahead and force the fumble that and then have a nice drive to get them out of that end zone out to like the 50 yard line and punch just a foot field position. I thought that was that pretty much in my mind, I was like, okay, they're going to win. I thought that was just such a deflating moment for Michigan because they did have that big haymaker back, but then the Badgers, um, continued to fight against them and had a, a great play there along the goal line. Drew, what, what was your turning point in your opinion? Honestly, it was the going for it on fourth down on that first drive. I thought that just spoke to how Chris was going to be coaching the game and how confident he was in the team. And I think that once that happened, I was completely sure that Wisconsin was going to win. It's just like that's so unlike him in the past – and unlike most teams in the Big Ten, honestly, to do something like that. And I think it just showed that Wisconsin was playing to win, not playing to keep it close. Yeah, I would agree. I was I was thoroughly impressed with, you know, all, all the fourth down, you know, going forward. I, I, I've wished, I think all of us at Bucky's fifth quarter have kind of wished that, you know, Coach Chris would do this more often than he does. Um, I think football coaches in general should go for it more. I'm not really a fan of kicking it or punting it uh, in general. So I I was thoroughly impressed with that, and I think everybody kind of took notice that, you know, Paul wasn't messing around, and, you know, I think it it ended up being a a huge confidence booster for the kids. Like you said, I think teams really, you know, the players really buy into it um, when when you go for it, and then, of course, when you get it is obviously a huge help too. Yeah, so obviously there were big plays on fourth down. <laughs> uh, big plays on fourth down from from Taylor and from Jack Cohn. Um, but overall, guys, you know, huge offensive performances from Taylor, obviously. Um, but Jack Cohn was efficient, and I think he really kept the game uh, under control and within him. So, um, starting with you, Drew, who was more impressive to you on the offensive side of the football, uh, Jack Cohn or, or Taylor? Uh, I mean, who was more impressive? Jonathan Taylor was. Who was more important, which I think is a different question, mm-hmm. uh, Jack Cohn was more important to the win than uh, Taylor. Uh, the running game is almost always a plus for the Badgers, regardless of who is taking the handoff. Obviously, with Jonathan Taylor, it's a plus, plus, plus. But as we saw last year, the quarterback position can be a minus uh, not turning the ball over is imperative. And Cone only threw three incompletions without turning the ball over. And also he was able to run, which is just like uh, blew my mind. Wheels Cone. I, I thought he was uh, the most important player on offense for sure. Matt, what about you? Yeah, I, I think uh, Jack Cone was by far the most important player on, on the offense 
during that game. I thought the offensive line looked super good um, and gave him time, protected him well, really opened up some huge holes. You know, I th- there was like a one uh, picture by Andy Staples where you could see Jonathan Taylor basically could have been a grandma with a wheelchair getting through that hole. But um, it was it was impressive to see the way Cone handled it. You know, he had two different passes that could have been in, intercepted that uh, I think he wished he could have had back. But other than that, it was it was spotless. He had one of Jonathan Taylor's long runs. He had uh, he had audibled in it. You could see he had made a check at the line, and I was super impressed by just his poise, making plays. Obviously, that run showed some moxie. Um, and he just brings an element that we haven't seen uh, from the quarterback position as fans in a long while. Yeah, I think it's been. I think he's been really important in that regard. He just seems like he has really good control of the offense. You know, no moment has been too big for him so far, and that was kind of something I was worried about coming into the season because obviously he's played a lot of football, but at the same time he hasn't played as the starting you know QB one role. Um, as much as as much as some guys have, you know, around college football. But so far, I think Cone has has been impressive, um, both you know as fans and and as um, people around the program. But I also feel like the the national media is starting to pay attention to him. Where all of a sudden, you know, there people are noticing that Wisconsin finally has what looks like a quarterback that takes care of the football and and does as much as he needs to do. He doesn't obviously need to throw for 300 yards a game, but uh, overall. He's been uh, he's been really impressive, and obviously JT has been as well. And you expect that every week um, from those guys. But offensively, I think they were they were really really crisp. Switching gears a little bit, what about on the defense? Because the defense still played you know exceptionally well. Obviously, 35 points um, in in one half is impressive from offense. But Drew, who stood out to you on the defensive side of the ball? Uh, I think Zach Bond was was great again. He's been great all season. He's just always in the backfield making plays. Uh, I know his name wasn't called very often, but Keanu Benton has been such a, a revelation at nose tackle, stepping in for the injured Bryson Williams, helping keep the point of attack where it should be so the linebackers can go out and make plays. I've just been really impressed so far this year. Matt, what about you? Yeah, I, 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 I agree on Keanu Ben. You know, he even had a quarterback hurry. He's actually shown the ability to get in the backfield as well as just kind of holding down that spot. Um, but a guy who jumped out to me was uh, Eric Burrell. You know, obviously uh, he had only a couple tackles, but he was flying all over the place, had the fumble recovery, uh, also had the interception. You know, he, he made some big-time plays. I think uh, one of the plays he had a really nice uh, – tackle to cut off the edge on one of the wide receivers on a play. So he really made a had, had a great game up until the point where he uh, obviously left with that targeting call. Yeah, I was going to I was going to say both of those names as well um in in Benton and Bond. I mean Bond's he's pretty pretty much been the the defensive player that that stands out almost every week just with what he's doing and you know teams are starting to target on him. Um, and it doesn't seem to matter. But I was going to mention Keanu Ben as well. Like you said, Drew, his, his name wasn't you know called a lot, and it wasn't didn't show a lot in the stat sheet. Um, but he was impressive. I think that even just to show up and and you know take on a, a offensive line full of four star, five star blue chip guys and, and hold your own uh, was going to be impressive enough. But uh, I think he'll be a nice guy. You know, as Bryson Williams gets back, that that gets worked into the rotation if. 
if you can have two nose tackles that you know appear to be talented, I, I think it'll be huge uh, for the Badgers defense as they get as they keep going um, and you know get into the get into Big Ten play where we're going to face a lot of you know tough running attacks that way. Switching gears to the back half of the defense, obviously we talked about the the front half with with Benton and Vaughn and. Uh, and that, but we also have to talk about the secondary, and obviously the huge, you know, talk of the secondary was the targeting calls. No matter what you think of it, obviously the the Badgers will be out without Burrell and Pearsons for the first half. Um, but guys, what did you, what were your thoughts on on both of the calls? I mean, they were different in ways, and obviously had different impacts. But Matt, what what did you think of of the calls overall, and and how do you think that kind of impacted uh, the team? You know, I I thought. Uh, the first one looked looked pretty mild. Um, you know, I thought that uh, the quarterback slid super late. He kind of had like an awkward baseball slide where you're going into third. And, I mean, he could have very easily injured himself on that play with such a rough uh, slide. Um, and then the second one, that, that one I knew immediately he was gone, and I think everybody did in, in the stands on TV. It was so violent, and but that's how Reggie Pearson plays, and I don't, I don't think he's going to change the way he plays, nor he should he. Um, but I also think that both of those hits are also on the quarterback because of the awkward ways they went about it. Dylan McCaffrey's young quarterback, he should have never left his feet in the middle of the field. He was just begging for it. Um, so I, it's one of those things where they both made plays that kind of put themselves in that situation, which is tough to see. Um, obviously, you don't want anyone to get injured, but you can't. You can't. The second you jump and leave your feet in the middle of the field, there's guys coming and coming fast. Uh, Drew, what, what what did you think of the calls? Mm-hmm. Obviously, like Matt touched on, um, both of them were were a little bit. You know, as you can see, both calls. But what what were your overall thoughts? So I, I was watching the game at home and had you know the the Twitter box pulled up, and it seemed to be pretty unanimous amongst even people who had no horse in the race that uh, the first targeting call was not necessarily a good one. Uh, he probably should have been able to, to stay in the game. But kind of unanimously, the, the second one with Reggie Pearson, everybody seemed to think that that was probably the correct call. He should have uh, been ejected. But again, like like Matt mentioned, it it may have looked a little more violent than it was, because of the way uh, McCaffrey tried to go down. I hate to see uh, a kid get hurt. And I know Pearson tweeted something out after the game saying the same thing, that he wasn't trying to injure anybody. And I, I, I believe him. I don't think he's a dirty player. I think he just plays fast and violent. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, if you've, if you've watched any Reggie Pearson, you know, even tape in his high school, he was – he just hits people. He hits people hard. He knows kind of one speed. Um, you know, I, I I would agree with you guys. Obviously, the first one, while probably you know by definition, yes, the helmets hit, but you can kind of clearly see that you know Eric Burrell was pulling off a little bit and probably shouldn't have been called. And and you know, I think that probably goes back to you know what the definition of the rule is. But then, of course, the second one. Um, you know, it was targeting, and you know, obviously it was an awkward slide, and, and it was a little tough to for for Reggie probably to stop or, or pull back because, like we've said, he, he plays just that type of football, and you're and you're not really going to be able to ask a kid not to. Um, but I think for me, the the point that really bothered me was that uh, 
you know, both of these were called, you know, essentially enforced the same way when clearly one wasn't really targeting. It was by definition, and obviously they called it. Um, but, you know, it was still a lot less than what Pearson's was, but they were enforced the same. So is there any – what do you guys think is, like, the way for the NCAA to try and clear this up so you don't have plays that were clearly different uh, but being enforced the same? Matt, do you have any, any thoughts on that? I Well, so I, I rewatched the game uh, yesterday, just to kind of, especially those – those couple plays to kind of get a take because obviously at the game it's a whole different environment. You're you're all around fans just booing. You know, you see things in a split second. You don't get necessarily the replays that everybody's seeing on TV. Um, But I actually thought, I think it was Joe Flatt who had a really uh, positive spin on it that, hey, I think the first one, kind of like you're saying, should have been officiated differently, um, looked upon as, yes, maybe 15 yards because of the helmet-to-helmet contact, but then not necessarily, you know, out for an entire game's length. Um, and then, but then Reggie Pearson, I, I personally, I think it's okay that he's out for this, the first half of the second game. Um, simply, I mean, that makes sense. That's the type of play that they're trying to get rid of. Um, you know, obviously that's not, he wasn't malicious or trying to do that, but that's the way it is. Um, but I think that first one was such a soft call that I it's, sure 15 yards make or take that, but then not necessarily take him out of the game. Uh, that I think wasn't warranted. Yeah. Drew, what about you? Anything they can do to kind of fix this or change it to, to make it a little bit more clear and easy on the guys? I, I don't know if there is. They can just keep going back every off season and tweaking and changing things until the rule looks different, but then there are new problems. It's just uh, kind of the new reality in, in football is that there are a lot of these new player safety rules, which don't get me wrong, are good. They should be in the game, but it's going to be tough because the referees are told to enforce these player safety rules, and they always want to err on the side of caution when they might not always have to be throwing the book at people for these hits. Yeah, that's. The, I think that's the point that that a lot of people were hitting on is that you know the, what are the refs really supposed to do? I mean, in that situation, they're told what they're supposed to do, um, and obviously when. When there's a call that's even close, and you, I mean, the helmets, yes, granted, they still touch, so by rule, they're always going to go with that. Um, so I, I, I don't know if there's really any perfect solution. Like you said, I know they'll, they'll probably adjust it again um, after this year because we, we all know that at some point this season, there's going to be another bad targeting call um, in a big spot where all of a sudden it's going to fire that debate back up. You're going to see it time and time again you know, over the course of the season. This isn't this isn't the last time that we'll be talking about you know a targeting call that that could affect a game. Um, but overall, like you said, I don't think there's much much they can do uh, until the off season and they can revisit it. Um, but at the end of the day, obviously, it's there to protect the players, and we all want that. And you know, unfortunately, these things happen. You're playing a, a physical sport, and you're you know you're playing football. You know, sometimes it's going to happen, and there's not really much uh, anybody can do about it. But uh, overall, the Badgers obviously a huge win, 35 to 14 win, dominating effort. You know, like I said earlier, the score it wasn't close, but it looked when you if you watch the game, it wasn't even as close as the score indicated. But still, after the game, you know, much of the talk is on Michigan, and I don't think any of us 
And, you know, as guys who've, who've been around the Badgers for a long time are surprised by that, but I, I, I'm sure there's a lot of frustrated fans that the attention isn't on Wisconsin. But, Drew, how does, how does the team handle having a huge win, top 15 win at home and just blowing the doors off of them, and yet the conversation is, is still on uh, the opponent? How does the team handle that? I mean, it, it honestly is probably a, a good thing because it sort of keeps the, the chip on their shoulder. I know teams, even, you know, teams like Alabama and Clemson are looking for something to be like, oh, nobody believes in us. we got to go out there and prove everybody wrong, which is obviously nonsense. Like, everybody thinks Alabama and Clemson are going to win. They always win. But, like, for the Badgers, I think it's good that they just stomped a mud hole in Michigan, but all anybody can do is talk about, well, what does this mean for Michigan and not what does it mean for Wisconsin? Especially heading into a game against Northwestern, which is always a terrifying game. At least this time it's at home. But they have to stay sharp, even though this isn't a big top 15 matchup coming up. I think it's good that people may not be gassing them up too good. Yeah, I would agree. I would be I would be full on nightmares if this game was at Evanston at 11 a.m. next week. And so I'm very glad that it's oh. that's in Camp Randall. Guaranteed <laughs> loss. Guaranteed <laughs> loss if this was at Evanston. Oh, no question. That's where the the sleep happens, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's it's seven to three late in the third quarter, and you're wondering what in the world is going on. <laughs> um, Matt, what about you? What did you what do you think of this? I mean, obviously the conversation is is on Michigan, and it's. It's always been it's been on them since the preseason. It's going to continue to be. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on how the Badgers just kind of keep keep their direction forward and, and you know whatever happens and whatever they want to talk about is fine. Completely withdrew on this one, and I think it it helps. It gives them something to um, latch onto and really buy into uh, heading into a game that you know after a big win you you could you know have a little letdown. Um, but I I think with the alternate uniforms that I know the players are super excited about and and the fact that, you know, the Badgers are still getting kind of slept on in their eyes. Uh, Chris Orr is the epitome of a guy who can turn anything into um, momentum for that team, and he takes everything as a slight, and you got to love that. And uh, I, I don't, I don't uh, have any worries about it. I actually think it's perfect for the Badgers because we saw last year what happens when you're on the front of Sports Illustrated and other things are happening around the team. This is just another reason for the Badgers to um, really hone in and keep working on things. Yeah, I think that I think you hit the hit the nail right on the head with that. I mean, like you said, it, we saw what happened last year when they had big expectations and everybody was talking about them. You know, we saw how fast it crumbled. Uh, you know, like that, that's what a buddy of mine was saying that they're like, how come, you know, they're not talking about the Badgers at all on ESPN. They're only talking about Michigan. Uh, and I told him, you know, that's that's fine by me. We won the game. Um, we won it impressively. And, you know, all, all they got to do is handle their business. Um, but going kind of off that, you know, how does the team, obviously there was so much buildup in this game, more than I can remember uh, in quite some time for, for a Badger game. Um, how does the team turn the page uh, from such an emotional win and refocus for a, for a team that Northwestern 2-2 two and two, haven't really been impressive on, on one side of the ball. Their defense has been okay um, despite giving up. I mean, they still gave up 31 points to Michigan State. So how does the team turn the page and refocus um, on Northwestern, Matt? Uh, I, I think it all comes down to last year losing 31-17 uh, to 17 in Evanston, you know, 
Jack Cohn had just a nightmare. I, I'm sure he's still um, cringing when he goes back and watches that film. Uh, it, nothing went right for that team. It, it seemed like it was a complete lemon. I think that is huge for the team. It's another thing to kind of grab onto on top of the fact that people still aren't giving the, the Badgers the respect that a lot of the players probably think they deserve. Um, so I think just having that loss last year, taking the L, will help them bounce back this year against a Northwestern team that's not nearly as good uh, according to the numbers as they were last year. Drew, what about you? I mean, if you want to talk about the numbers, Northwestern wasn't any good last year. I still don't know how <laughs> they won the division, but that's, that wasn't the question. Uh, <laughs> the, Badgers should, the Badgers should have no problem getting up for this game. Over the last five years, they've only beaten Northwestern twice and lost three times. Like, this isn't, you know, Illinois or Rutgers. Like, this is a game that the Badgers lose more often than they win recently. It should be, uh, you know, part of the revenge tour, like that blonde-haired idiot from Michigan would, <laughs> would say. Good old Chase so I, I, I don't, Yeah, he, he has a name. I, uh, there it is. I, uh, I I don't think there'll be any problems for uh, for the Badgers on Saturday. I like yeah. the blonde-haired idiot better. Uh, good old Chase Winovich. What a personality. I, I do like the name better, too. But, yeah, I, I would agree, you know. Um, I don't think, you know, the players will have any any trouble refocusing. I was, like we said earlier, if it was in a road game, it would be a little different story. Um, but also I think, you know, the coaching staff is pretty well equipped to handle handle that. Um, you know, Paul Christ isn't one to just sit back and rest on a, a top 15 win. You know, he's going to try and you know, get off, um, you know, get these players going in the right direction uh, to get this week started. And uh, from from all accounts, I wasn't able to make it to the presser today. But you know, I, from the sounds of it, there wasn't even you know much talk on the Michigan game. It was all Northwestern and focused on on that. Even from you know media and, and Coach Chris' perspective. So overall, I think they'll they'll be you know fully focused for this game. But uh, that's all I have in my notes, guys. Any final thoughts on the Michigan game, or any any thoughts from the College weekend, college football weekend. Any games you guys maybe enjoyed as we wrap this thing up? Uh, I mean, there was so much good football that it was awesome. You know, I was uh, busy with friends uh, out at some bars around Madison and was able to kind of catch games here and there. But there was so many good games that it was awesome to see. You know, even on like the Friday night game uh, with with the uh, USC and. Utah, I mean, it was there was so much good football, and that was great. Did either of you stay up for that UCLA game? Ha! No <laughs> chance. <laughs> I was I was up um, into like the end late fourth quarter, and then I faded off, and I woke up a little bit in the, towards the end of it. But I don't think I I don't think I was awake for the for the final like last couple drives. I was fighting it and trying to make it, but. I was so tired. It was a, I got up real early to get to Madison to uh, take in as much beer as I could before 11, so I, I did not make it to the end. I tried my best, though. <laughs> Sorry, as an Eagles fan, I have to be upset whenever Chip Kelly does anything well. I've been on record as saying I should be in jail for how much I defended him while he was the coach for my favorite NFL team, so I was a little disappointed that they came back and won, but I'm sure it was an exciting game. 
Yeah, I mean, I woke up and was checking the scores, recapping. I was like, oh, my God, that got to 67-63. And, you know, obviously Washington State had that huge lead. If, if, you know, if Mike Leach just learned, you know, Mike Leach needs to come and hang out with Paul Chris for a couple of days and learn how to run the football, they probably win that game without a problem. But uh, like Matt said, there was, a, there was a lot of great football this weekend. And, uh, you know, Texas A&M, Auburn, you know, and a couple other games where uh, a lot of excitement. Illinois was a good game. <laughs> that was a great game. I actually did not it even. Was. I wasn't even thinking about turning on to that game. And then all of a sudden I was checking it and checking it. And I'm like, oh, this game is still tight. Second quarter, third quarter. So, yeah, that was a good one, too. The the fact that Illinois was still in the game and Brandon Peters threw for 78 yards and he was the only quarterback to uh, actually complete a pass is just remarkable. He had a thir- – I'm just looking at it now – a 13 QBR. Uh, good old Brandon Peters. I mean, he was the, the former Michigan you know, star, so I don't know how he's I don't know how he's not you know firing all cylinders at Illinois. But uh, yeah, not not pretty. I, I'm assuming just from the sounds of it that you guys, if you were betting uh, guys like me, you're laying the 16 with Ohio State on the road this weekend. Mm, I make it. Well, now you guys I'm are scared. Make it double. No, I'm, I'm, oh. taking, I'm taking Ohio State minus 32. Okay, perfect. Okay, because I was, I was getting fully prepared to lay 16, no problem. Um, but I, you know, it's, I was hoping that you guys were on that same train. But if, if you're saying lay 32, then I'll, I'll gladly lay 16. I need to, yeah, I need to uh, get heated up. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I, I don't think Nebraska has a shot. No, I don't think so either. I just I don't see how they. I mean, I don't see anybody. You know, frankly, I know the Badgers have Ohio State on the schedule, but right now, I don't see anybody slowing that team down. And we'll see as they get deeper into Big Ten play. But man, they have they have fired on all cylinders so far. So, all right, guys, that's all I really have. Uh, any final thoughts for Michigan um, or anything like that, or else we'll wrap it up. Yeah, nothing, nothing really. But uh, we'll be back on. Wednesday or Thursday with the second one previewing the upcoming weekend, uh, talking Northwestern. Uh, I think we are having guests coming on talking Northwestern, am I correct? Yeah, yep. We're going to have somebody from Inside NU on to uh, talk about Northwestern, discuss um, kind of what they've had going on the first four weeks, and then, of course, they'll probably talk about um, Mr. Technological Advancement in uh, Pat Fitzgerald. I don't know if you guys saw his press conference today, but it was it was an all timer. So we'll uh, we'll make sure to touch on touch on that and uh, dive fully into Northwestern games. Drew, anything else? No, guys, for having this was fun. Yeah, thanks for joining us. We always like to have uh, another voice on, and uh, overall it went pretty well. And like you said, we'll. Uh, get into the uh, Northwestern stuff later in the week. We're going to try, obviously, like we said, the, the new two-day schedule, but I think overall I, it'll be uh, a lot better. Obviously, you're getting basically two half-hour shows versus one 40-minute show. Um, so I, I think you guys will enjoy this a little more, and it makes this a little easier on us than, than trying to you know, work through all that stuff. So make sure you rate, review, subscribe, and uh, we will see you guys on Thursday. Thank you.